0: In one of the Calvin and Hobbes comic strips, Calvin tells Hobbes, I feel bad that I called Susie names and hurt her feelings. I'm sorry I did it. Hobbes looks at Calvin and replies, Maybe you should apologize to her. And Calvin thinks about that for a minute and says, I keep hoping there's a less obvious solution. I keep hoping there's a less obvious solution. I believe we are certainly that way with people uh, that we have sinned against. Uh, we hope that there's a less obvious solution than just admitting where we've been wrong. But I, I feel uh, even more so that the church, uh, universal Uh, that believers struggle with confessing to God, too, admitting to God when they have done something sinful. We wait, either out of pride, out of fear. We wait, keep hoping for a less obvious solution. When the answer is clear, When we have sinned, which we have all done, the appropriate response is to turn back to God and confess it and seek His forgiveness and restoration. Scripture is clear that we are all sinners. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The good news for us is that God has made a way for us to be forgiven. God has made a way for us to uh, to have restoration and renewal in our lives. We've been in the in the Psalms for, this is our fifth week, we'll have one more Sunday where we'll be looking at one of the Psalms. Today, the text is a text that deals with the issue of uh, confession of sin, seeking forgiveness, seeking restoration. And so David models for us an appropriate response when we have sinned. Uh, But in all of this, what he's modeling for us of what the appropriate response is, it's also a really important reminder to us of who our God is. And so we're going to look at that today as we look at Psalm 51. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 51 if you have them. Our sermon is titled, The God Who Forgives and Restores. The God Who Forgives and Restores. Psalm 51, I'll read verses 1 through 19. For the choir director, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after he had gone to Bathsheba. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love. According to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins. And blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. Or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me. And sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways. And sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God. God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. In your good pleasure, cause Zion to prosper. Build the walls of Jerusalem, then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings, then bulls will be offered on your altar. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We confess it is true today as we do each week. And we ask that you shape us by its truth. Help us. Learn and understand and respond accordingly. Continue to shape us into the people that you want us to be. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So from this text, Psalm 51, the central truth for us to hold on to, I I said that this uh, not only is a model for the appropriate response when we have sinned, but it is also teaching us about who our God is. And so the central truth for us to hold on to is God is a God of forgiveness and restoration. God is a God of forgiveness and restoration. We need to believe that. We need to know that deep within us. Because it's by knowing that God is a forgiving God and truly believing that God is a forgiving God and a restoring God that will allow us to actually follow what is modeled here, that will allow us to actually confess to God when we have sinned, actually allow us to seek out the renewal and restoration. We have to believe that God truly is a God who forgives us and restores us. So let's hold on to that. And we're going to break this down into two sections. Uh, First, we'll look at forgiveness and then we will look at restoration and so the first truth for us is this our God is a forgiving God our God is a forgiving God we're going to see this in the first nine verses and some of the ideas and some of the language is weaved in and out of all these nine verses and some of it shows up again in the second half but this first part is dealing specific specifically with forgiveness so let's look back at those nine verses again be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion, completely wash away my guilt, and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight, so you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely, you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. Our God is a forgiving God. David is praying these words because he believes and knows that God is a God of mercy. God is a God of forgiveness. And so in the first two verses, the first two verses of this psalm are his plea for mercy. He asks God to have mercy on him. The CSB in verse 1 says, Be gracious to me. Many of your translations will say, Have mercy on me. God, have mercy on me. This is a confession that w- He does not deserve forgiveness. He does not deserve God's love and compassion. He's admitting His sin, so He's not saying, You know, it wasn't that big of a deal. He's confessing that I don't deserve this. I need your mercy. Mercy is withholding judgment against someone. And David recognizes, I know I'm guilty. I know I deserve God's judgment here. And so I'm asking him, God, please have mercy on me. Now, sometimes we don't ask for God's mercy because we think We've gotten so used to certain sins in our life, we don't really think they're that big of a deal, especially compared with others. But then there are times maybe where you've found yourself in grievous sin, where you know that you have done horrible, wicked things, and you may think, I don't know... If God has enough mercy and forgiveness for this, I don't know if God would be willing to forgive me for this or forgive me again when I've promised over and over. I'll never do it again. Please forgive me, Lord. And I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon about God's mercy. God's mercy is so great That you may sooner drain the sea of its water or deprive the sun of its light or make space too narrow than diminish the great mercy of God. And what a beautiful reminder for us to hold on to for a group of people who all are sinners, who are all in desperate need of mercy. What good news to know I could never reach the end of his mercy Spurgeon says you could drain the ocean before you even got close to it. So know that God is a God of mercy and David knows that. And so that's why he prays, God, have mercy on me. And then the next thing we see in verses three through five is his confession of sin. He owns up to it, right? I confess or, I'm sorry, I am conscious of my rebellion. My sin is always before me. Now the context of this, we saw in that little prescript. This is when David was at home. His men were away at war and he looks out his window and sees Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, on the rooftop. And he calls her to himself. Takes her as his. And she becomes pregnant with his child. And then in an attempt to cover this up, he works to try to make a way where he can get away with it and then finally realizes the only solution here is then to kill Uriah. So we know the context of this. And this seems to be written really close to that time period after Nathan came to him and told him the story of the man who took the lamb and then pointed out, you're the one. You're the one that's done this evil before the Lord. And so this psalm was written soon after that. And David is saying, "Like this weighs on me daily. I think constantly. I'm reminded constantly of my sin and my rebellion. It's always before me. Verse 4, he says, I've sinned against you alone. Now, it's important that we don't misunderstand this because David did sin against Bathsheba and he did sin against Uriah when he had Uriah killed. What he's saying here is, God, you have a law. You have a standard of this is how I am to live and I broke it. I went against your command. I went against what you desire of me. And so I have sinned against you. I have done what is evil in your sight. And he says, You are right to pass judgment against me. He even confesses just his whole sinful nature. This is one of the verses people would use to kind of point out the total depravity of mankind. That we are sinful, he says, even from birth and even at conception, he recognizes, I have a sin nature in me and I have done this evil, wicked thing in your eyes, Lord. He owns up to his sin. And that's an important thing for us is to be able to own up and confess our sin to God. But in our culture and even in the church, that's becoming less and less of a common thing. Even how we speak of sin, especially when we speak of our own. Well, I slipped up this week, Uh, you know, or I've been struggling this week. We use terms like i slipped up or I've been struggling instead of saying I've sinned against a holy God and I deserve His judgment for it. But I'm clinging to the mercy. I'm clinging to the forgiveness that He has for me. Our culture as a whole is shifting away from the idea and the concept of sin. Jerry Bridges addresses this in his book, Respectable Sins. He has a chapter at the beginning called The Disappearance of Sin. And he notes in that chapter that psychiatrists, scholars, authors, sociologists, uh, people across the board have noted over the last several decades that in the American culture and even in the American church, the concept of sin is becoming less and less common. Less and less talked about. And even in the church, it's talked about typically as pointing a finger outside at those pagans out there instead of an admission of, I am a sinner. I have sinned against God. In that chapter, Bridges says, the entire concept of sin has virtually disappeared from our American culture. And at large, it has been softened even within our churches to accommodate modern sensibilities. David doesn't do that. He doesn't soften what he did. He didn't say, well, she was tempting me out there on that rooftop. He doesn't say, well, I slipped up today, but, but God, don't forget about all the good things I did before. He says, God, I did this evil in your sight. I've done something wicked he confesses sin, and then the next part of this section is he asks for God's forgiveness. And so in verses 6 through 9, he talks about in verse 6, he's like, I know you desire integrity, and so I need you to cleanse me. I need you to wash me. I need you to forgive me. So he uses in verse 7, purify me with hyssop. Hyssop was used in the the ritualistic sacrificial system. It was first mentioned actually at the Passover where the lambs were slaughtered while they were still enslaved in Egypt when God was going to pass over the nation of Israel and bring judgment on the Egyptians and they were going to be able to leave. And the instruction was to take a hyssop branch and paint the blood of the lamb over your door and on the doorpost. And then those hyssop branches were used in sacrificial systems, and sacrificial of blood. And so David is kind of recognizing, like, God, I need you to cleanse me, to wash me, Like what happens when sacrifices are made? I need you to make me whiter than snow. And verse 9, turn your face away from my sin. So instead of turning away from me because of my sin, would you turn your face away from my sin? Would you not keep it before you? Blot out all my guilt. That word for blot out uh, this is a word used in like a, in a record book where records are kept and you, you blot out, you mark out the record that is there against someone. And so he's saying, would you blot this out? Would you completely remove it so that it's no longer before me? He's asking for God's forgiveness. And remember, he's doing this. He has pled for God's mercy. He has confessed his sin and he's asking for forgiveness because he knows God is a forgiving God. That's why Jesus Christ came. Right, Jesus came because God is a forgiving God. He came so that we could be forgiven. He came and lived the perfect life, perfectly obedient to God, and then died in our place so that if we would believe in him, we would be forgiven. God is a forgiving God. Remember what John the Baptist says about Jesus. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's why Jesus came to take away our sins. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, we see this. In him, and that's talking about Jesus, in Jesus. In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. It is in Jesus that we can have forgiveness. It's only in Jesus that we can have forgiveness of sins. That's why He came. And God is a forgiving God. And the proof we have of that is that He sent His Son for us. So, church, we need to be a people who recognizes our sins. We need to be a people who confess our sins. We need to be a people who ask God to forgive us. And we do that while we cling to the truth that we know God is a forgiving God. I can come to Him because He will forgive me. The second truth that we have from this passage is this, our God is a restoring God. Our God is a restoring God. He talks about restoration. Uh, talks about, so one, on one level we t- we're looking at it from the idea of restoration into a relationship with God, but he's talking so much more about the restoration of, of himself creating in him something entirely new so that he will start to follow God, so that he will worship God appropriately and lead God's people appropriately. So our God is a restoring God, verses 10 through 19. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God. God of my salvation, my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You're not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humble heart, God. In your good pleasure, cause Zion to prosper. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Our God is a restoring God. We're going to look at this from several angles here. But the first thing is, David, he is asking God to restore him. He's asking God to do this work in him. And so verses 10 through 12, he requests, God, would you make me into something new? Because he's already confessed who he is. He is a sinner to the core from the beginning, from conception. He is a sinner who does evil, wicked in God's sight. And so what he needs is something that only God can do. He needs God to create in him something entirely new that will honor God. The word used there when he says, God, create a clean heart for me is the same word that's used in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. David is is asking God, God, would you do that miraculous thing that only you can do? Would you give me a new heart? Would you renew in me a spirit that's determined to honor you with my life? Would you not take your presence from me? Now, he's not talking about loss of salvation there. We do not believe you can lose your salvation. But what he's saying is, like, I need your Holy Spirit to shape me. I need your Spirit to, to work in me to create the person that you want me to be. And so, don't remove that blessing from me. Keep shaping me into the person that you want me to be. So David is recognizing his need for God to supernaturally act in his heart and to give him the kind of spirit that desires to honor him. The the Spirit of God leads us on the right paths, right? The Spirit of God will lead us in the way that God wants us to go. And so David is clinging, God, I know you're restoring God, and I need you to restore me to the kind of life that you desired for me, because that's not who I am. I need your transformation. And then from there, at verse 13 to 17, we see a commitment to proper praise and worship. He's asking for restoration and renewal of heart so that his life will be used to honor God instead of doing the wicked that he does. And so he asks God, when you act, when you restore, he makes a commitment. I'm going to tell others. I'm going to teach others. God's a forgiving God. God's a restoring God. In verse 13, then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. One of the, the things that's important, David kind of recognizes this here, being honest, you know, sometimes people say the church seems like a bunch of hypocrites. It's like they act like they're holier than everybody else out there. Like we don't do anything wrong. That's a regular criticism. Maybe too harsh on some things, but there may be some truth to that. David is saying, like, when we're honest about we're sinners forgiven by God, I've done evil, wicked things, and God forgave me, that God will use that to turn other people back to Him too. When we can be honest about being sinners who have gone against a holy God, people will say, well, if there's forgiveness for them, maybe there's forgiveness for me too. If, if they've been given a new life, maybe there's a new life for me too. And so David is committing to that. Committing to proper worship. I will sing praises to you. When you've restored me, I will praise you with my lips, with my tongue. The section about sacrifice. Now God does, did require sacrifice of his people in the Old Testament. But what David is getting at is not saying, well, God, you don't really want that. What he's saying is you don't want just the ritualistic practice of like, okay, well, I did this wrong. I'll just go through the motions. I'll do the sacrifice. And now I'm good and I can go back. He's like, you want a broken heart. You want someone who recognizes I have done horrible things against a holy God. And so with that broken heart and broken spirit, the humility that comes with this of admitting I'm a sinner. He says that's what you desire and that will lead to the appropriate worship, the kind of worship that you want. That will please the Lord. And so he's asking for and he's committing to God when you do this, when you restore me, that will also allow me to have proper worship and praise of you. And then, lastly, he makes a request for the restoration of all God's people, which seems like an odd request in this psalm. It actually, some of the some of the critical scholars said, "Well, this must not have been originally part of the psalm. Uh, it doesn't seem to fit because he's talking about I've done this evil, I have I have sinned, I need your mercy, I need your forgiveness, and then all of a sudden it jumps to God." building up and restoring the people of God, the nation of God. And so he says, in your good pleasure, cause Zion to prosper, build up the walls of Jerusalem. But it's actually quite fitting. Remember, David is the king. The king has dishonored God with this evil act. The king leads the people. So if the the people follow their king's lead... They're going to follow him in committing evil acts before the Lord. But he's also recognizing God, if you bring judgment on me as the king, that brings judgment on the nation. And so please restore your people, don't let this sin affect your people. Don't let my evil and wickedness harm this nation any longer. Would you please build up their walls, help restore them so that they too will be a people that will honor you with proper worship. And when you do, proper worship is going to happen. The bulls will be on the altar. People will be worshiping you appropriately. So this whole section goes beyond just seeking forgiveness. It goes into a renewed relationship with God and it goes into a new heart and a new spirit that can honor God. Saying, God, I need you to make a renewal in me. I need you to restore me. Why is he asking that? Because God is a God of restoration. That's who He is. In His faithful love, He restores people, even people who rebel against Him. The story of Scripture shows it over and over that God is a restoring God. Think about the, uh, the promise of the, the new heavens and the new earth. And God says, I'm making everything new. He promises that His whole mission... Sending his son to redeem sinners like you and me. He's working to bring about a restoration and renewal. He's going to make everything new. That's who our God is. And that's why he sent Jesus. Jesus came because God is a God. restoration he came to restore us to new life he came to restore us into a relationship with him and he came so that we could have that new heart so that we could have that new spirit the Holy Spirit that will allow us to walk in the way that he desires us so thinking on just the idea of restoring our relationship to God and when you think well I don't know After some of the mess that I've created, after some of the things that I've done, I don't know if He would restore me. We think of God often in how we would treat someone who has done something wrong against us, which is hold them at a distance, right? When someone has hurt us, when someone has wronged us, we typically set up some type of boundaries, and we think, well, surely that's how God's going to treat me. He may forgive me, but I don't know that He's going to like restore me to the kind of relationship that I want. And that's not true. Think of the story of the prodigal son. Wasted the father's inheritance on prostitutes and wild living. And finally decides, maybe I could at least be a slave in my father's house. And I at least won't starve to death. And he comes with a speech ready to give to the father. And he doesn't even get partway through it. He gets started. And the father cuts him off. As he do, he restores him. Bring the robe. Bring the family ring. Put sandals on his feet. And bring him into the house. We're going to celebrate because my son was dead and he's alive. He restored him. There wasn't any, okay, I'll forgive this, but I want you to sit in the other room and think about this for a while. He was part of the family. He was brought in. He was restored. That's who our God is. In Second Corinthians, Paul speaks about the new life. Paul speaks about the renewal, the restoration he ties it into the idea that God is a reconciling God. He sent Jesus so we could be restored to Him and reconciled to Him. So in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to Himself through Christ and it has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And then skipping down to verse 21. He made the one who knew no sin. I'm sorry, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ came because God is a restoring God. And so if you have put your faith in Christ, you can know God will renew me. God will restore me. He has already started that and he will finish that. And so Paul says, he uses that language of reconciliation. and He says, now you can go and tell others that you can be made right with God. You can be restored and renewed. You can have new life. If you would just come to Jesus because Jesus took your sin and died for it so that you could then be the righteousness of God in him. Jesus came to restore us, to renew us, to wash us because God is a God of restoration. And that's what David knows. And that's why David is praying this In Psalm 51, God, I need you to renew me and create in me what it is you desire. And he knows that that's what God will do. So for us, in the power of the Holy Spirit, church, let's seek that kind of renewal and restoration in our life. One, renewed relationship with God, but also actual renewal of the life that he's starting in us. The, the new heart and the, and the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can follow God. We can obey God. We can live out a life that gives honor to God because of the Spirit working in us. It's not a message of get your act together and try harder, it's embracing what God is doing by putting His Spirit in us, by allowing us to be forgiven with Christ dying for our sins. And so let's walk in that. And when we have sinned, let's be a people that's quick to turn back to God and seek forgiveness and seek the restoration that He has for us. And we have the promise that He won't turn away from us. And that's good news for a sinner like me and a sinner like you. Sometimes we wait to confess our sins. I mentioned in the intro that sometimes that can be out of pride, uh, thinking, well, it wasn't that big, and Jesus died for that sin anyway, so I, like, I've already asked for forgiveness, and so we kind of make these excuses, and we don't actually confess to God. Or sometimes it's the other extreme, which is also the error, which is to think, I, I don't want to admit this to God. I don't want to tell God that I did this again. As if he doesn't already know. But we do that sometimes. like Almost like punish ourselves by holding back when we can actually go and seek the restoration. We wait like Calvin. Thinking maybe a less obvious solution will come around. But the obvious thing is, is to turn back to God. Paul Tripp says confession of sin is a willing and daily habit of the spiritually mature. Confession of sin is a willing and daily habit of the spiritually mature. So because of his faithful love, we can ask for God's Forgiveness. We can enjoy the forgiveness that's, that is available. We can enjoy the restoration and the renewed heart that He has for us because of Jesus. So don't wait to turn back to God. Don't wait to admit to God, I know that I've gone against you and I need your mercy. Now, if you are here and you've never received the forgiveness of sins that's found in Jesus Christ. If you're here and you are not in a relationship with God and you think, I don't have that kind of relationship with God, we'd love to be able to talk with you because you can. You can have your sins forgiven. You can be brought into the family of God and have a relationship with God because of Jesus Christ. And so we would love to be able to talk with you about that and see me after the service. You can fill out one of the response cards and just put on there your contact and that you'd like to schedule a meeting with the pastor. But we'd love to talk with you about that. Now, church, for us, what if we got serious about the confession of our sin? What if we took that literally and got serious about admitting to God regularly, God, I've sinned against you. And it could be horrible, wicked, grievous things like we hear about what David did here. But it doesn't have to be that. There's also lots of little ways where we aren't trusting. There's lots of little ways where we're saying things we shouldn't say, where we're doubting things that we shouldn't doubt, where we aren't doing the things that the Lord has called us to do. Sin is sin. And so what if we got serious about confessing our sin and seeking God's restoration and renewal? I am convinced that If we want to see God's power work in our life over the sins that we struggle with, it will only happen when we are honest about it. It will only happen when we take an honest look at our lives and say, God, I know that I have sinned against you. I know that this was wrong. And God, I need you to do it. No more of this, like, okay, I'll try harder, God, because that doesn't work. Not long. So what if we got serious about confessing and saying, God, I need you to do this in me. I need you to restore me. I need you to renew me and make me into the man or the woman that you want me to be so that I can live out the life that you want me to live. I think we will really start to experience power over our sin. But we have to be honest about it. So, I feel it is appropriate for us today to follow in David's footsteps that we've seen in Psalm 51. I feel that it is appropriate for us to pause and pray and admit, God, I'm a sinner. I need your mercy. God, I need your forgiveness. And I need you to renew me into the person that you want me to be. And so Mickey's going to put up, uh, I've just got some reminders for us from this psalm of what David does and what we can do in confessing our sin and seeking God's forgiveness and restoration. And we're just going to have some music play for three or four minutes. And I would like us all, from the youngest that's in here to the oldest, I would like us all to just pause and take an honest look and be honest with God. God, I know I'm a sinner. I need your mercy and forgiveness. And I thank you for Jesus. And so... Ask for God's mercy. That's what David does first. He holds on to the fact that he is a God of mercy and compassion. Confess ways that you've sinned. Confess that surely there are ways that you don't even realize that you've sinned. David talked about that last week in the psalm. He talked about needing forgiveness for the, uh, the ways that he had not intended to sin against God, but he did. Ask God for forgiveness. Ask God to give you a new heart that honors Him. And then thank God for Jesus. And so we're going to have about a few minutes. I want us all to be praying and seeking the renewal and the restoration that God has for us. And maybe some of that also includes seeking forgiveness, not just individually. That's some of it. Maybe it's taking an honest look about us corporately. Are there ways that we've dishonored God with this church? Are there ways that we've dishonored God when we haven't uh, lived out all the one another's that he's called us to? So let's pray. And after we pray, I'll come up and I'm going to pray for us and then we will sing of God's mercy. Heavenly Father, we confess that we are a sinful people who are in need of mercy. God, we ask that You forgive us. God, we thank You for Jesus. We thank You for Your faithful love towards us. And God, we do seek restoration and renewal individually And as a church, we need your restoration and renewal. Work in us, shape us, and then use us for your glory, God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.